0: Or do you have questions today?
1: What kind of day is today? You can have faith and also have questions. And I always do. I, I truly believe the foundation of the universe is a loving, powerful God. I truly believe that. However, I also take a lot of my guidance on what faith is like from the Bible. That's why it was given, I believe and in the bible there are so many times of doubt and darkness and silence and protest my wife used to work with senior citizens and commonly when you go to a hospital you want to read the book of psalms because it has such comforting words well you got to be careful when you choose a psalm about two-thirds of them are words of of protest words of lament complaint and sometimes when i'm on a, a college campus i'll say i challenge you to find a single argument against God by the new atheists, people like Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, uh, Christopher Hitchens, or the old classics, Voltaire, Bertrand Russell, David Hume. Find a single argument in those people's writings that is not already included in the Bible. And I have respect for a God who not only gives us the freedom to reject God, but actually includes the words we can use in the sacred scriptures. And I think God God can take it. The one thing God can't take, I would say, is dishonesty, pretense. He wants us to come exactly as we are. And there are going to be times when our prayers don't get answered, when the people we love most are on the verge of death. And even if you're totally committed to a loving God, you have a personal relationship with, there are those times when you think, could it possibly be true? It doesn't seem true. We go through Job-like experiences. Every, every great saint that you've ever read, they all go through a dark night of the soul, times when you just have to hang on. That's part of the faith experience. Right now, today, I, I'm in a faith day, <laughs> not a question day, but there are always those little questions floating there, and it, every once in a while they're going to come boiling to the surface. Yeah
0: your newest book Vanishing Grace I honestly think is one of the most important books of the 21st century thus far (laughs) and I mean that sincerely and here's why if what we believe and what we pursue as a society determines our destination as a society um, is the truth then what's happened to Christianity in Western culture and people's view of Christianity could have a a dire effect on our future. Sure, sure. And so in Vanishing Grace, I think it's an extremely important book for our time because you're saying, wake up Christians and non-Christians alike, a lot of people don't think Christianity is good anymore. A lot of people are angry with Christians. A lot of people have a very negative view of Christianity. What's happened? Mm.
1: Before I wrote this book, I, I wasn't sure who I wanted to write to. I was aware of this big divide. There are Christians over here, and I am one. And then there is this society over here that's growing increasingly hostile and skeptical and resistant to Christians, even fearful of Christians. And the, the gap just keeps widening and widening. And I wanted to do something to, to bring the two together, to bridge that gap. And finally I decided, okay, I've got to write to Christians. They're my people, they're my tribe. Uh, For 45 years I've been writing for Christians and I need to express to them my concern. So I wrote the book for Christians and it's about what is happening in society in general that has made us less attractive, less appealing. Grace, when I encountered grace, when I first took that gulp of grace, it was like nothing else, I realized This is what I've needed. This is what I have longed for, thirsted for. And I read the Gospels and I see how Jesus would would go through an area and the people who were the losers and the outcasts and the, the kind of known sinners and the ones down on the social ladder, they were all attracted to Jesus. They were the kind of people that he probably disapproved of their behavior. And yet there was something about him that they said, I want what he's got. I want what he's got. In fact, it was the uptight religious people, the Pharisees, the most religious people of his day, who were turned off by Jesus. And it, it struck me that the church is almost doing exactly the opposite. We, today, we tend to attract people just like us. And if, if you're with someone who looks like you, smells like you, thinks like you, agrees with you and everything, that doesn't take any grace. Grace is put to the test when you're, when you're up against somebody who's offensive to you, someone who disagrees with you, someone who is in your face. Can I still love that person? And Jesus was so clear there. He said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So here's this divide. And I wrote the book to address Christians because this society, without its Christian roots, is just going to get worse and worse and worse. And we have something that our society needs, and yet our society looks at the church and by and large concludes, I don't want what they've got. When they looked at Jesus, they said, I want what he've got, what he has. So what is it that we're doing that is so unlike what Jesus did?
0: Tell people in soundbite form just a couple of the statistics that say how modern society has begun to reject Christians and feel bad about Christianity. A couple of those statistics. Right.
1: These come mainly from the George Barna group. They're a pollster group, kind of like uh, the Gallup poll, and they concentrate on religious questions. And in 1996, so not all that long ago, probably everybody watching was alive then, in 1996, 85% of outsiders to the faith, people who have no religious commitment, they're outsiders, but 85% of them still have a favorable impression of Christians. By 2010, not that much longer later, of younger outsiders, only 16% had a positive impression of Christians. So that's a pretty precipitous drop in a short period of time. And that's actually, when I read that statistic, that's when I decided to write this book. We're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah,
0: less than 20% of young people, those who have the ability to one day lead their families to church, right. less than 20% of them have a positive view of Christianity.
1: That's right. Wow. That's right.
0: That's devastating for Christianity in this society. <laughs> I mean,
1: it, truly. It is. And then they threw in the word of evangelical. What about evangelicals? 3% had a positive impression of evangelicals.
0: Yeah, it's a dirty word. Okay, you point out, and it's a brilliant point, and we're going to get into some politics stuff because I think it's really important to talk about it. You talk about it's a case of us versus them. We ignore the call to see people in God's image. And instead, modern-day Christians, in many cases, are saying it's us versus them. It's us in the church versus the gay marriage movement or versus the legalized marijuana movement or versus the divorce movement or versus the pro-choice movement. Whatever it is, it's us against them. Mm-hmm. And that enters into the political arena. What's happened that Christians, instead of saying, I want to go love everybody, we're saying, oh, no, 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 it's us, the Christians, against the rest of the world.
1: We in America have been spoiled, I think. We're the outlier. There aren't that many societies in history where Christians have formed the majority of a society. Usually Christianity starts as a tiny little knot of people who say, you don't have to live this way. I'll show you a different way to live. And that's what happened. And then gradually, the early Christians became so attractive that more and more people wanted to be one. And eventually they became the majority in Rome and then in Europe. But what happens again and again, as soon as you become the majority, you start thinking, oh, uh, it's a democracy. We can pass the laws. We can get our values across. We can force people to act like us. And that's where I think we've lost the way in the United States. I, To me, the question is, what are we called to do? Okay, uh, Convert people, for sure. But Jesus never expected that we would convert everybody in the world. There are always going to be some people who say, no, I don't don't want it. Clean up uh, the United States of America. We don't like the way it's going. Well, think about that. Whatever we are doing in America was much worse in the Roman Empire. We have NFL football. People go on Sunday and pay money to see people bash their heads against each other. In those days, they would pay to see people kill each other, the gladiators. This was sport. We have abortion in those, and there's a question, when does a baby become a human being? State legislatures debate this. In Rome, their way of birth control wasn't abortion. They would let the baby be born nine months out of the womb, alive, and just leave it by the side of the road for wild animals. Historians estimate as many as a quarter or a third of babies born were just abandoned like that. And interestingly jesus didn't talk about either one of those did he not a word on gladiators not a word on and he didn't take his job as let's clean up the roman empire the same with the apostle paul at no point do you hear the apostle paul saying let's go and clean up this rotten society around us when i was writing this book i came across a phrase that i had never noticed before it's in the book of hebrews and i made it the epigraph of the whole book hebrews 12 15 it says see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And that's that's a a slogan I can get my mind around each day. I'll tell you, the the ones I have the hardest time with are computer helpline operators. You you, You dial this number, you go through this long phone tree, they put you in touch with somebody in another country who doesn't speak good English, and they go through this little routine, you've tried every one of those things and I'm just getting so impatient. And then I remind myself, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. We can do that with the, with the checkout clerk at the, at the grocery store. We can, we can do that. And I, th- and, and I think that's what we're called to do. So that not everyone is gonna become a Christian, but everyone can say, okay, when I have been with a Christian, somehow they seem to have a little more time than other people. They don't, but they act like they do. They give me the attention, they're good listeners. They care for me. When I fall down, they don't kick me. They help me up. And if, if we did that, if we made that our goal, the problem is, if you make something else your goal, cleaning up society, politics uses, it's a dirty sport. It's an adversary sport. It's like football. You bash the other opponent. And that's not what Jesus said. Can you get involved by loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you? It's tough. It's tough. But we all can accept that slogan see to it that no one misses the grace of God.
0: Your book wrecked me for a while because I was one of those Christians that was guilty of saying well surely God agrees with my politics mm-hmm. and that if God were here he would be on the side of more conservative views you know pro-life and saving babies and and traditional marriage and um, A variety of things that Republicans would say are more on their side. Now, let me just now tell you, having read your book, I'm pretty sure if Jesus were here, he would not vote. (laughs) I mean, I really believe that. He's much more concerned with individual people, loving them not as Republicans or Democrats or whatever party, but just as people. And so I agree with the premise of your book in regard to politics, which says many modern day christians now say if i'm a christian these have to be my political views and i'm going to fight to the death to defend them not to defend jesus and not to defend love and not to defend grace and not to defend hope but to defend these five political stances Mm. in that way we have come to be seen as haters people think christians are haters right and I was on the side of the haters in some ways politically. And you had to dr- bring bring me back down to ground zero and say, is your faith your politics? Or does your faith need to be separated from your politics? If Jesus were here, what would he do? And I suspect he wouldn't vote. So that he could just love people for who they were and not what their political party was. OK. I want you to expand on that idea that we now live in a Western world that views Christians, maybe like me, as haters because of the political stances we've taken as Christians.
1: I think you're right. Uh, there are ways, there are ways to do both. And I'll give you a couple of examples. One is the original Jane Rowe, Roe versus Wade. Her name is Norma, her real name. Uh, she was the one who overturned the laws an abortion that uh, the the Supreme Court changed. As an in-your-face gesture, Operation Rescue rented an office in the very building where Norma worked. She worked for Planned Parenthood. And these people had shown up at rallies and held up signs, you baby killer, you murderer, and she knew them well. Well, they got convicted about that. And the director of Operation Rescue noticed that Norma would take a smoking break out in the parking lot and he would meet with her and and get to know her a little bit. And at one point he softened and said, You know, I really apologize for the things I said about you. I shouldn't have done that. I disagree with where you are, but I didn't treat you like a human being. Eventually through his kindness, his grace, and a little eight-year-old girl who invited her to church, Norma became a Christian. She's written a book about that. And the, pers- the person from Operation Rescue did not abandon his position, but he changed his style of relating because it wasn't just a position. He started seeing Norma, Jane Roe, as a human being, a woman who had a pretty tough life, who who had an unwanted pregnancy, and he became her friend. And that's one way, and I, I wish that Christians who are involved in politics would use different style uh, Martin Luther King used to call it the weapons of grace you know we use weapons and he's he's my second example because Martin Luther King strongly believed in justice issues <laughs> no one has expressed it better in recent times than Martin Luther King and yet he said When you throw me in jail, I will still love you. When you hit me on the head with your billy club, I will still love you. You can do anything you want to me, but I will still love you because I know I'm on the side of right. And I know if I'm on the side of right that eventually right will win and you will pay for your injustice for what you're doing. And he changed our society, not completely, not perfectly. But here's a Christian minister who motivated by what he learned from Jesus distilled through Mahatma Gandhi of all people who had read the Sermon on the Mount, he decided, I'm going to fight, but I'm not going to fight with bombs. I'm not going to fight with guns. I'm going to fight with different weapons, weapons of love and nonviolence. So there are ways, but recently in the United States, we've become increasingly polarized and you've got people just kind of calling names, calling each other names across the divide. I have, uh, uh, the privilege of traveling a lot overseas. i take about three or four trips overseas. And one of the things that has uh, has been a, a remarkable learning experience for me is to go to some places where if the closer you are to an evangelical Christian, the more liberal your politics are. It's not true in the United States. but if you go to a place like New Zealand, even the UK and parts of Australia, they say, well, the gospel is about caring for the poor, and the gospel is about racism, you know, and, and the rights of women, and these are the things that we're, mo- we're, not, we're not sure about these things like gay marriage and abortion. We're not really that concerned about them, but these things we know we're, are important, and it's so funny to be around these Christians who are just as devout and, and full of prayer and worship as Christians over here, but they see the political spectrum differently, and I wish people in America had that, everybody had that ability to to meet some people who Read the same Bible and come up with some different priorities.
0: I have speculated that when I got to heaven, God would say the Republicans had a right on some things and the Democrats had a on some things. Because, you know, yes, there's something beautiful about protecting the sanctity of life and protecting marriage and, and you know, those are typically Republican issues. But there was also something beautiful about helping the downtrodden. Right. And you know, that was the original idea of welfare and, and helping women and and all these other things that Jesus also stood for. So Really, neither party has it completely right or completely wrong when it comes to what Jesus was asking us to do. I really just want to be real about this. And Shelly and I have talked about this. We live in a time now where Christians and Christianity is viewed as hateful. Christians like me are viewed as haters. It's become about gay marriage. It's become about abortion. It's become about all these really divisive angry issues. And it makes me sad for for people who are Christians and people who aren't. Because I feel like it's just one big horrible battle and, the, and Christians are seen as holier than now and, and the people on the other side feel like they're in the side of right because they're not judgmental and they have kindness toward everybody and they're tolerant toward everybody and there's no meeting in the middle. And I think oh, our society is just gonna explode. The angrier people get with Christians and the more angry Christians get with people who aren't like them, mm. right?
1: You're very media savvy. You came out of the media, you're, you're up with the media, and the media loves this kind of stuff. Frankly, I don't see the issues quite as starkly as that, because how do most people encounter Christians? Maybe they're volunteering at a homeless shelter, and they say, why are you here? Maybe they're helping build a Habitat for Humanity, and how'd you get involved with Habitat? Well, I'm a Christian, I go to this church, and we kind of adopted this house project most people meet christians not across picket lines in the media that's almost the only place you see christians holding up a god hates fags at a veteran's funeral you know one of those people and it's easy if you're sitting there watching tv to think oh all christians are like that the media loves it. it 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 thrives on that polarization and that's a real problem in our society today but on the ground the boots on the ground aren't nearly as polarized, aren't nearly as hate-filled. Um, I mentioned the statistics that show that young people particularly have problems with the church. You
0: That's: a, they hate Christians?
1: I don't think they hate Christians. I think they're not immediately attracted to Christians, because young people, they kind of don't like anybody telling them what to do, and they see all religion as a bunch of rules trying to keep me from having fun. What we haven't done a good job of communicating is that is that Christianity, the life Jesus promised was a life that's abundant, that's full, that's full of joy, and that whatever rules there are, aren't to keep us from having fun, they're to keep us from hurting ourselves, keep us from damaging ourselves. It's the best way to live. God created us. God knows the best way for us to live. We haven't done a good job. It's all, no, that's wrong, no, that's wrong, no, that's wrong, instead of, this is what's best. This is what's most fulfilling. And we, we, we need some help in getting across that message for sure.
0: You go off the reservation on one point you make in this book. You say in a world where some people view Christians now as haters, mm-hmm. where Christianity has a more negative view than ever before, You take this big risk by reminding people that Jesus called us to love our enemies, not be critics, not be separatists, but to love our enemies, and that could even mean loving terrorists. Hmm. And in this day and age, when we think there is nobody we'd like to see die more than the terrorists who are beheading Americans, what do we do with a Philip Yancey who says, What if we decided to love terrorists? What if we adopted a terrorist for prayer, the way you talk about this one group? How are you gonna defend that in the public?
1: Well, there's a story behind that, as you know, because I was speaking on a prior book, a book on prayer. And I was going through the various prayers of the Bible, and the one I kept running into was, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. I said, "Ben, I don't do that. I started thinking, well, who are my enemies? Well, Russia used to be, but I never thought of praying. I grew up in Atlanta. We used to hide under our desks, afraid of the Cuban missiles. I never thought of praying for those people. They're our enemies. We guard, guard ourselves against them. So when I was speaking in my church, I, I brought some enemies, pictures. I don't know if you remember, but back in, in uh, the Gulf War days, they actually did playing cards of the 52 top terrorists, Osama bin Laden, various people. So I brought some pictures of those playing guards and projected them for the church and said, here they are. What would happen if every church in America adopted one of these guys, learned to pronounce his name, and started praying for him? Isn't that what Jesus asked us to do? Well, there happened to be somebody in the audience. He lives in Colorado Springs. He's a colonel in the army, and he drove up. I, I had never met him, but he drove up to, to hear, the, hear me speak that night. and He went home, and that really got to him. So he started a website. You can check this out. It's atfp.org, adoptaterroristforprayer.org. And he, you can go on their website and adopt someone. He gives a little profile. You have to commit to pray and to sign up. He also has a comments page. And people responded exactly. Here's a guy in the army, right? And some people knew who he was. And they write in things like, pray for them. They're trying to kill us. We ought to murder them. We ought to kill them. We ought to blast them. You know, this is the craziest idea I've ever heard. Why would Jesus even say such a crazy outlandish thing? And this is what he says. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, the reason I want you to do this is because the more you do this, the more you're like God, the Father. God causes the rain to fall, the sun to shine on the evil and the good alike. And if you can find a way to adopt the spirit of love toward people who are least like you, then you'll know a little bit of what it's like to be God. <laughs> be like God, loving the enemy. because we. And, and I think that's where the church gets it wrong. One of the things you hear people say about Christians is they're holier than thou, you know, holier than thou. There, there's this step up here and they're looking down on people here. As I read the Gospels in that passage particularly, Jesus changed the, in, changes the emphasis from, am I better than, but not holier than thou, less holy than thou. Compared to God, we're all messed up, screwed up, sinful human beings. And maybe my behavior is a little bit better than this person, but you know, it's, it's like an inch and we're dealing with the entire universe. None of us measures up. And that's where grace comes in.